Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Yeah. I forgot I had my level set for when I read books to my kid. All right, down it goes. <laughs> there it is. That's There's a lot less screaming during the Berenstein Bears than there is oh. during uh during, during the old Mark's Madness. But here here we are yet again, back in the cave. like Berenstein Bears' excellent adventure? You know... <laughs> What? what with bill and ted and <laughs> willie nelson and the or whoever it was? Bears. yeah i don't know. know um that's not willie nelson what is that uh, carlin jo- carlin uh was the other guy in bill and ted's excellent adventure yes um we're back i'm slightly less dead than i have been in the past just that's from the exciting plague. that's the exciting ennui of the crushing uh death of the universe is still here but you know we we can get around that um yeah. david Yes. Do you have any weird current event things that you want to yell about real quick? Um, well, I did want to go back over because we had a discussion and I, 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 I want to I want to redo it. I don't like my answer. We had a discussion and we wanted to do it. So that discussion will be cut entirely from the episode in which it was existing yes. and will now be had here. Here and now. And the sad thing is, in spite of that, I got that feeling on a whim this afternoon and so I'm not prepared, but at least, at least it's You're more a prepared mulligan. than you were the last time I did this. That's too. right, because I see it coming. So, yes. Nathan, what what is the question, my friend? The question then was, what makes class traders, and can do we have any class traders now? Yes, and I believe that that devolved into a more expansive what discussion of class? of what what is class, which is a very yeah. broad ass question that I don't know if I would have asked because. Uh, that's a that that seems like a, a dangerous one to try and nail down. No, I I think it's an important one, and and that's kind of why I want to get it right. Um, so when we talk about what is class. Well, there's one thing class is okay, and it's very simply. And, and so I'm going to start there. There's one thing class is, and there's many things class is. Um, so the one thing oh, class is is defined. Yes, <laughs> it's the best of times. It was the worst. Yeah, of time. I was about to say. All right, all right, now. <laughs> all right. So anyway. Uh, the, most, the, the most important thing class is, is the ownership of private property. Okay. If you come to the table in a market and because you own the property to do a job, you can look at someone who does not have anything to sell but their labor and say, give me your labor and I will give you pennies on the dollar for it. Okay. And it may be, I mean, it, it may be nine dimes on the dollar, but it's less than the dollar for I'm going to profit off of your labor, whether I work beside you or not, no matter what. I'm coming to the market with this property so I can make money off your work because you have nothing to offer because I'm already wealthier than you. That being uh, said, owning your you, house, let's say you own the house you live in. Okay. Does it make you uh, not working class, correct? Uh, yes, but we'll get to that. Oh, God. <laughs> Strap in, guys. Um, so this is not personal property. This is this is meaning private property, property that can be turned into work. So if you own the house you're in and you use it to rent, you're a landlord. Um, also, there's something to be said for private ownership of property as a colonial construct. Uh, but otherwise, no. I mean, personal property is, is not applicable, right? I mean, you you having a TV so that you can watch it. You having a stove so you can cook your your own food at home. You having a house to live in. That's not what we're talking about. We're and it's not as simple as like duh, a factory. You know, I mean, it could be like you know you <laughs> it could be a TV station, it could be a newspaper print, it could be 
It could be, you know, the, the, the licensing. I mean, we, we, there's intellectual property. It could be, I have this copyright. So if you're going to make this and make money off its brand or off this kind of design, you have to make it and, and give me money off of it. Um, so if you have some amount of property where other people, um, have to do work and you get to profit off other people's work, then you are in the bourgeoisie. You are in the ruling class. Okay. Um, okay. because what class is, is it's, it's a defined economic caste. Okay. And since we don't have hard caste, since we don't have hereditary caste, ours is defined by this private property as Marx discovered in capital. If you only have labor to bring to your market, if you are on the underbelly, the, the, the subservient side, of the economic structure, um, then you are working class, and of course, there's different you know scales of it, right? That I think said, that's the more interesting. I think that's the more interesting point that I want you to suss out because again, mm-hmm. the concept of who is the ultra ruling class and and, and that you know mm-hmm. again, who is exploiting is one is one thing. I I do think yeah. there's the ability to exploit without being part of the bourgeoisie necessarily yes. i think with a certain amount of money and out without private property you can still be exploitative and the term working class yes. is very broad it gets thrown around so i'd like you to suss that part out in the middle a yeah bit so i mean importantly i want to start there okay and people venture too far from that class that that class definition to try to redefine class and that's kind of a it's a postmodernist thing that that's that's been done it's kind of like this is marx doesn't matter anymore we're beyond that we're better than that we know better and and all it does is is it just hides class it hides the primary contradiction uh that said we also live in a more complex world whereas as me and nathan talked about long before uh capitalism is the economic expression of colonialism right so there's something to class when you have say you know, land-based wealth or, or you get to, to live in a certain amount of, of wealth from, from say, you know, being a, a settler um, where, you know, there's something to having a, a class like almost relationship um, from, from certain, you know, gender things like that. Um, and we have to understand those, those class style relationships, but we do have to understand too, that something about class is the, the, the class, the actual contradiction makes you inherently at odds uh, with the other class, right? So you're inherently at odds with, with the bourgeoisie when you're the proletariat because they're exploiting you, right? You are not inherently at odds with, say, a woman because you're a dude, right? That you're not inherently at odds. And when you start feeling that you're inherently at odds, that's when you start getting in that like fascistic, you know, race traitor talk like that uh but we do have to understand you know settler colonialism as a true class construct and so with that you get class substrata and class substrata you get you have people that say are the armed guard of the bourgeoisie they don't own property they're not the bourgeoisie but they'll go out and they'll kill for the bourgeoisie and they get treated really fucking nice for doing it and and they get to to kill with impunity for doing it on top of that right um so you see that in the cops you see that in the military um you know of course there's there's management right who spend their entire day stumping for the bourgeoisie and they they get a higher standard of living there's a labor aristocracy and usually these guys are the most ardent defenders of capitalism and so it's important to understand that because when things start say devolving into fascism well who is going to be the vanguard that carries that fascism when class when uh, uh, liberal 
class contradictions come to the surface, right? If you're not dissolving that class, well, it's going to be the management people. It's going to be the cops. It's going to be what we consider, you know, middle class, supposedly, right? Is is this this labor aristocracy and this petty bourgeoisie where they're going to be businesses, they're going to be the bourgeoisie, but they don't have a lot of power compared to like a corporation. So they get fluffed up as the little guys, the underdog, when really they're the exploiter, and they can very easily lose that exploitation so they they feel very threatened to not fall down to the working class something they easily can and often do and especially if they're recently fallen from there right and so they've been raised in being bourgeoisie now they have animosity towards the proletariat that they've just been thrown into they've been degraded they're the victim to them and just to to again do the thing we do where we, we take again this whole podcast we take theory and we try and mm-hmm. give you a practical example of it look at uh, for a very good example of that group in particular, mm-hmm. um, look at all the the f- protests to reopen people, all the people that lost mm-hmm. their absolute shit. The people that were out there protesting, like, let me get a haircut and all that. Yeah, I can guarantee you most of them weren't trying to get a haircut. Most of them were people that gave haircuts or owned salon or own or had a there it is own the salon to get the haircut or own. They had vested interest. <laughs> there are uh, again. Because again, like it, love it, hate it, uh, small business owner, f- try and find the minutia of it. That's fine. Um, there are like 60% of all restaurants that existed prior to COVID do not exist anymore and will not exist after COVID. Yes. They're gone. Yeah. Gone off the map, never to exist again. Yes. Those people will now fall down. You are seeing this, this particular pandemic is in real time causing a lot of this fl- the the dropping down to the working class the kind of flux that terrifies this particular subset of of labor aristocracy mm-hmm. um this absolutely you're you're watching it well, live in real time and these are the pe- not labor aristocracy probably the wrong word petty bourgeois petty bourgeois yes petty bourgeois but you're you're seeing that group exposed and you're seeing the violent reaction they mm-hmm. have when that happens because yes. again that is, as far as they're concerned, that is the difference between them being, them being petty bourgeois and just another person. And yeah. they're, they're losing their absolute shit over it. Now you yeah, should be able to identify that and not empathize people. with them and recognize that that's, this is part of the whole thing that they've been exploiting forever falling down on their face, but it, you're watching it in real time. Yes. And then America's got this, this fun, and it's not exclusive to America, but something that happens in, in Western countries and these imperial countries is it's not just that there's a labor aristocracy. There's, there's almost a psychological labor aristocracy. Uh, we know the American phenomenon of the temporarily disaffected millionaire. Sure. We know we've all heard all of the propaganda about how, um, you know, socialism doesn't make everybody rich or you know capitalism makes a few people rich socialism makes everybody poor ha ha it's a zing zang boom you know whatever they want to say right well that's because to them not having service workers cater to them not having someone poorer than them not getting resources on demand for unnecessary consumerist purchases is a step down in their life right mm-hmm. so even if the overwhelming majority of even in this country, let alone the world, have a vast improvement to their life and no one is left in houselessness or ab- abject poverty and stuff with socialism, right? And so actually nobody is poor. Uh, to them, everybody's poor because you can't lord over people. You don't have this power. You don't have this opulence, right? You don't have this extravagance that they're using. And they don't think of it as extravagance. They think of it as, as not being poor. But 
but it's you know this extravagance that they think of as normal to them they lose and so you have a class of people and they usually are in you know the petty bourgeois the the management class i hate the term middle class because even though these people collide in the middle they are two different classes and on top of that there's that phenomenon where people hear middle class and think that's me no matter how rich or or, or poor they are right (laughs) um so class is not wealth driven but there's there's this um you know, there's a superstructure and classes is, 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 is found in the base where there's a certain load of, mode of wealth. And if you take away these conveniences, that's too much. They'll, they'll feel poor. And so they resist socialism to the death because they feel brought down. They really do feel like that, that everybody's poor. They're telling on themselves when they say socialism makes everybody poor, right? And those people are also going to be in the reactionaries, and they're generally going to be white. They're generally going to be suburban, well-off, homeowner types, right? With, with you know, I mean, the housing associations and, and every damn thing, you know what, right? Um, and so it's not like definitionally you own a house, you're you're in this class, or definitionally you're white, you're in this class. But we know who this group is, right? This, th- and yeah. these are the groups that are that are overwhelmingly Trump supporters. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely say overwhelmingly and, Trump's overwhelmingly yeah. because that's a fascist. That's a, all the instincts for that group point towards fascism is better for me than socialism. If yeah. fascism is better for me than socialism, I'm going to lean one way. Just, it, just naturally. It's and, easier. and so when we get into a class trader, a real class trader is someone like someone who joins the armed guard of the, of the bourgeoisie. Um, you know, someone who, uh, is is a small business owner, but actually fights for the the proletariat, fights for socialism. Uh, you know, I mean, those are class traders, people that actually cross classes, and that's the most important definition. But there is a functional idea of of a class trader, of people who are above that line where socialism does make you quote unquote poorer, even though you're still extremely well off. You're just bringing a bunch of people up from the bottom, and you're really knocking out the millionaires that make you suffer, right? And and again, this is a class of people that always complains about not having money but they're not like going without food right i want Um, you to suss out i want you to suss out something you just said real quick before you move on past it um you said a a real class trader would be someone who joins the armed guard of the bourgeoisie Mm -hmm. and then fights for socialism so that would be no 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 no. it joins the armed guard of the bourgeoisie would be one type of class trader another type of class trader would be like someone who's petty bourgeois but fights for socialism okay so you're saying if if a lower class if a lower if a class, lower class fights for the bourgeoisie or if a bourgeoisie okay, person so, okay. fights for so the proletariat. So cops are class traders. So every cop that is not independently wealthy and owns the means of production is by its nature a class trader because it's upholding the... Right. A cop con- that... And again, this is this is the business thing, right? You know, okay. a cop that doesn't own like a police trading academy because that person would just be like bourgeoisie, right? A cop that's just a regular run-of-the-mill cop is a class yeah. trader. Now, they're not workers in the sense that, yeah, they're in the working class, but their job isn't work. Their job is... You know, their job isn't isn't exploitation. They're not being exploited. They're being used to uphold the class the class structure, right? Okay, that, um, but it, it so, was important to suss and, out because it, it came off. And there are off. people that sit outside the class structure. I mean, we're familiar with the lumpen proletariat. They're not they're not part of the productive forces, right? Same thing with the armed guard of the bourgeoisie. They're they're not part of the productive forces. So cops are not working class. The military is now, not working hold class, on. but they are class traders what, generally. What about the cops on cops? Because they're having their labor exploited so that someone can make a TV show. Are the see what uh uh I found a contradiction within your contradiction, sir. 
Yeah. You're such an ass. Yeah. What about the co- what about the people that were actor? What about Mr. Winslow from Police Academy who did all the funny noises and stuff like that? He pretended to be a cop, but yeah. was also in a. It's it, 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 there's money lines. We have to get this stuff together. We have to suss yeah. this out. So I mean, it's important to know that you know not have your politics grounded in like the 99 percent versus the one percent or something. Like, like yeah, I mean the fact that one percent have such extreme opulence and you know the other 99 percent share you know half the wealth that's a big deal. But if somebody owns a small business and makes 125k and they're not in that one percent, they're not on my side. That's not a good class analysis. Right. That's that's correct. No, that that does yeah. not make them. I would say yeah. that's not good class analysis. Yeah. So uh, so I mean, you know, we got to suss out. We got to understand that that's that's not good class analysis. Um, and so I do I do want to say that that it's best to work within what an actual class is, and and we shouldn't try to toggle both. But sometimes we'll casually throw around something um, a little too much, like where people say grifter too much, and they just mean liar. And yeah. so maybe we'll casually, you know, throw around like being a class trader uh, when we're saying like pushing back on subtler colonialism if you're, you know, a settler or, you know, if if you're well off. Um, but would settler you know, would pushing back against settler colonialism if you're a colonizer would that even be class trader at that point? Does that not uh, supersede? Does colo- does colonizer versus non colonizer even classify as class distinction at that point? Um, or is that it sh- that, that it seems like it's outside? Should, yeah, it's it's a relationship outside, but it's a relationship like. All class comes about, and that's something that we that, that we're seems reading more like in a white structure to me. Yeah, Am well, I, I mean, it's mm, but colonialism is also the base because capitalism is economic capitalism expression the of base, but capitalism is the expression of of colonialism, colonialism. right? So you and don't have so capitalism th- without colonialism. So again, I think they're I think they're melded. Yeah, I think they're melded. But yeah. I think you could have you could have colonialism without. Could you? Would you have colonialism without capitalism? Could you? You, you, not very long. Well, but what feudalism? How could you not? You could revert to something. You could revert to something like feudalism. You could revert to something, something entirely mercantilism. Mercantilism had colonialism. But, okay, so now, now we've almost got to get back into a primitive cumula- accumulation talk to where we're we're almost going too far. In this because capitalism. Oh, this arose- is by the way, this is its own thing. This is okay. th- we're going to cut this off whenever we're done with Cap- it. It's going to be its own thing. Capitalism arose from colonialism because colonialism drove that relationship. Okay, so in feudalism, I mean, you had the the small markets, the guilds, and stuff like that, and you had the the aristocrats, the the, the royal families who were reaping the benefits of you going out. But what would motivate you, right? Why would you leave the guild and go risk your life and sail halfway across the world and bring back these riches? And if you bring back these riches under the guise of the king's not going to come and kill me, right? What, uh, I mean, if you have the riches, just, just run off and, and convince people that, you know, I mean, what, what economic system is always going to come out of that? You're collecting the wealth from the resource exploitation. I would still so, say mercantilism would count. I would still say okay. mercantilism would count because the okay. whole concept of going across the sea and finding exploitable resources that I can send back uh, over the over the sea to my you know to to for the spice trade and stuff like that, and then if I just colonize it, it's easier for me to sit there and exploit those resources and ship them out. Like I I, I think you could still do it, and I think okay. that I, I think the concept that simply or I, I I think the reason I I contest it is because I think the concept of oh well if we just call capitalism 
colonialism will will go away with it. They're intertwined. Yeah, you can't no, have one it, without the other. Bullshit. Right. You could have colonial. You could er- eliminate capitalism as a base and still find ways to exploit uh, indigenous people, their land, their labor, um, all of that stuff. I can absolutely see a room I, for that. So I think keeping I them agree with that is important. Uh, I agree with that. The only place I would contend a disagreement is I don't think you'll ever eradicate capitalism if you do that. I, like, I'd be you can oof. you can make moves where you eradicate capitalism, but the capitalism would rear its ugly head again. There's no escaping capitalism as long as there's colonialism. Yeah. All right, we've hit the part. We've hit the part where I feel like this is not useful anymore because it's okay. just so it's so hyper theoretical into zones that okay. don't exist and don't that's, have practical meaning anymore. That's fair. I'm not sure we necessarily got to break this off in its own. Oh no, we're going, going to minutes. because I'm going to do a thing for about five minutes here, and then we're going to break this off because I okay. want to make sure we're giving people reading when we're supposed to be reading. Okay. This is my okay. other way of forcing us to two a week is by making one of them just current events for right now, and then we'll transition. Okay. Um. So the only the the thing the actual current event that I would want to yell about that kind of I don't think it elucidates anything we just talked about but mm-hmm. it does elucidate a, a long standing tradition that we do love on this show which is um Democrats are just uh, b- <laughs> different Republicans they're yeah. all in it for the same reason they have they're all yeah. trying to to do their own thing uh, yeah. the jo- the Joe Biden debt relief student debt relief plan I think is is the Ooh. biggest comedy of errors. And that may not be the right word, but it's just so hilarious to watch because yeah. if my dumb ass can suss out what you're doing this quickly, you done fucked up. So we obviously start back uh, like a couple weeks ago and uh-huh. Chuck Schumer floats this idea that you uh-huh. could eliminate $50,000 of student debt via executive order. I don't know where he got the number. I don't really give a shit where he got the number. You can eliminate all of it if you wanted to. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Th- th- we, we've created a unilateral executive at this point that can basically like rule by fiat. Right. Go and do whatever you don't, don't pretend you're limited or something like that. Right. But Most people, 50, 50K is a big, big number. 50K anyway, is a very big number and a, and a life altering number for a large group of people. Yeah. If that was possible. Now, especially. Yeah. If that was targeted at federal student loans, which almost yeah. everyone agreed was the only way that would work, because how do you eliminate private loans via executive or via government executive order? That seems like something that would have to be legislated. Yeah, it's you'd weird. almost so, have to you'd almost have to give a federal loan to the bank, another bank goddamn bailout, and then cut the loan. Well, so then we move on. Now, then Joe Biden goes, oh, well, it'll probably be. Well, Joe Biden's willing to consider ten thousand dollars. Okay, so we've shaved forty grand off the top. Now, I'm not saying ten thousand sure. dollars is a small amount of money. If okay. someone just ha- randomly handed me ten thousand dollars, yeah. that's a significant sum of money. That's yeah. different than taking ten thousand dollars off a debt that I won't pay off for thirty years. Uh, yes. If I now I'm paying that debt off in twenty five years because of the way interest rules work, you still haven't really helped me in a tangible way. Um, you've simply added bottom it's, line to, in this case, if it was federal student loans, to the government's pocketbook. You've given the government. It's somehow it's simultaneously fifteen k instead of ten k, <laughs> and yet less useful. That's that's it, the magic it, of that. Exactly. So already, already this is bad. Already yeah. this is a bad. This is a bad. This is exactly the thing the Democrats do. One day it's all. One day it's you know eliminate, make all college free. Yeah. The next day it's uh, we'll make community colleges free. The next yeah. day it's we'll forgive fifty thousand, then we'll forgive ten thousand, then we'll forgive nothing. It's the Democratic way. And then a couple minutes later. And by a couple minutes, I mean like probably a day or two on Twitter. It came out that the new plan was we'd forgive $10,000 for people under extreme hardships for private student loans. 
So let's unpack all of that for a second. First and foremost, ten thousand dollars. Accidentally unpacked that a little bit already, didn't I? All right, a little bit, but that's fine. That's fine. Ten thousand dollars. Again, not enough for people in crippling student loan debt. A ten thousand dollars student loan bill, if that was all you had left, um, is is small enough that you can that you are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for student loan debt for most for most Americans. I would say, if I'm wrong, please come at me. But I I I do think that that's probably pretty accurate as to how most of it works. If you have the extreme student loan debt that a lot of my comrades have that I speak to, um, and that that's similar to what I have. And what I imagine, David, I think what you, what you have, I think even yeah. on your end between oh, yeah. for, for you and your wife. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, $10,000 is nothing. $10,000 is laughable no. in, in the yeah. grand scheme of the way, with the way interest will work, that'll, that'll come out to nothing. And, and uh, right. I shaved a year off my loan. Congrats. Right. Um, but then you go to the private part. Yeah. It's even we more even, interesting. We even breezed over the, the extreme. Uh, what was oh, it? No, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Oh, we're going to okay, go back okay, to extreme okay, hardship. Okay, okay, we're going to go back okay. to extreme hardship. Um, we go to the private part. Do you know the percentage of student loans that are federally held versus privately held? I'm going to guess it's something like 90, 10, 95, 5. 92, 8. Federal Ooh, to I'm private. good. I'm close. 92. <laughs> so 8% of student loans nationwide are held privately. Um, <sighs> reasons for that wow. are private student loans require much higher bars mm-hmm. of entry to get yep. because you're getting private lending which means you usually need better collateral to back that up and you you have to be a better lending risk for most people or you're getting a very shady fly-by-night sort of lender that's going to extort the shit out of you yeah um, for, for anyone who, who hasn't gotten a loan other than maybe a student loan because we're not normally venturing into private student loans um who hasn't got any kind of private loan uh whether it be things like you know equity or for a car or for you know, house or uh, for anything, right? If you've ever the gotten factory, any kind of the loan. factory that you own, person, yeah, the factory to the show. that you own, yeah, because we're you know the, the proletarian factory owners. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I- I- anyone who's ever even applied for a loan, something that becomes abundantly clear is. Well, your credit score matters a lot, and you hear that harped on all the time. That makes a huge difference with like your interest rate. What it really comes down to, what the banks really give a shit about, is can you pay it back? And so it comes down to debt to assets and income. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get a private student loan, you're already on the plus side of a debt to assets and income relationship. Correct. And your lender is in it for a profit and has mm-hmm. no other motive than profit. Um, purely and simply, it is it is a bad student loan. So now, okay. So now we're immediately not helping. Now, immediately, we are helping, by definition, less than 8%. Because 8% is the maximum. If you, give, if you said every private student loan, you got 8% of them. Now we've knocked it down to extreme hardship. What extreme hardship in my head? is going to mean, and I can almost promise you, and I will, I, this is, I don't know Stradamus all that often. I'm no Stradamusing right now. This is my time. I'm going to take my shot. Extreme hardship is going to basically be qualified as who hasn't been paying their student loan, who is in arrears and is defaulting and not paying their loans. If you are not paying at all or paying a bare minimum and behind, you're going to qualify for extreme hardship and you're going to get 10 to hold on a second. What we just did is take private bankers who took a quote unquote risk in lending to a group of people. And then when they defaulted, got bailed out by the federal government and given $10,000 for each of these people that didn't pay them back. It is literally just a bank bailout for private student loan companies 
a constituency that Joe Biden has the largest erection for in human history. Mm-hmm. And remember, he was vice president for the last bank bailout. So but, this is so what they've not a precedent to, for him. What this is just doing, it is literally a bank bailout that they it's not even a bank bailout. It's a credit card bailout. Functionally, it's a it is a, a lending company bailout has no private student loans have no business other than because it's never where you start. You don't start with private student loans. You refinance into private student loans. No one almost ever starts with private student loans. You start with federal because they're the easiest ones to get. Um, you refinance into private student loans later. So all you are doing is bailing out predatory lenders, essentially, um, with, and cloaking it in this. Look at us. We're be, we're giving back to you. We're helping the people. That yeah, you that's it is what I really. Every- I was really grossed out by the the because again you know you're right to guess uh, but something your guess is doing and it was important to guess it was important to answer the question but something it does by definition is breezes past the question that's of course you know who's in economic hardship what the hell does that mean and we know we know how means tests have gone in this country before yeah, yeah it's gonna so again it's going to appear it's gonna give the appearance mm-hmm. that the administration that this administration is giving back to the the people that are hit hardest by the, the economic people that need it the most bull and no it's definitionally not it's a it's less than 10 percent of a total group and you're going to take less than that 10 percent. so you're mm-hmm. going to take maybe what one tenth of one percent of the total group of student loan holders and give them for and give a, a minuscule amount of forgiveness to them that just equates to a straight up bank bailout so yeah so you could do a mini bank bail mini mini redo on 2008 uh, but, and again, or all of this is, and who, more importantly, not even, don't even look, I'm not even looking at it as a 2008, 2009, because I do look at these as separate entities. The sure. credit, the, the, the private student loan industry yeah. versus the banking industry altogether. Joe Biden is specifically responsible for not being able to discharge student loan debt in bankruptcy. He is specifically responsible for that. He wrote that in to that bill. He is the one because he is the senator from Delaware, where all mm-hmm. of these people are housed and operated. He is the mm-hmm. bank. He is the credit card senator. He is the banking senator. That has always been his M.O. He is always, always the whole reason this is even an issue. The whole reason people have economic hardship and have to for, pro, talk about student loan forgiveness is because he made it illegal to discharge these in bankruptcy. The only kind of debt you can't discharge in bankruptcy. And now he's going to deign to come back to us 30 years later, pretend we forgot he fucking did that and give one tenth of one percent a pity handout on the student loans that he is responsible for us not being able to discharge. And people are going to suck his fucking metaphorical dick over it. And I am Oh, so ready to explode when that happens. Oh, I am ready to blow up because this is exactly the kind of resistance lib bullshit that we were ready for the second this motherfucker got into office. He's not even in office yet. And this shit's already starting. And oh, dear Lord, it's going to piss me off. Joanne Reed going on and talking about how this is. Oh, clap, 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 clap. This is the best thing. This is so good. It, it, oh, yes, because black people are most disproportionately affected by student loan debt. This is helping eliminate the wealth equality gap. Fuck you. No, it's not. Fuck you. No, it's not. You should be smart enough to know better. Fuck you. <sighs> this has been a short episode of Mark's Madness about current <laughs> events that you're going to get on a Monday. Nathan um, is mad. He's right to be mad, but he's mad. I'm fucking 
furious. I am a white hot ball of rage. And I'm going to carry this white hot ball of rage into next episode where we will read the full part of the book for you. But for now, this is the best way I can think of to ensure you get a full episode's worth of reading. And we also put out an episode for you. So uh we're gonna end this here this uh, you don't get a disclaimer for this bullshit uh here's the disclaimer we talked about nothing about a book this episode uh we'll do that occasionally to try and make sure you get more book content (laughs) while we figure out what our two a week schedule looks like but in the meantime here you go um that being said this has been mark's madness pod uh if you don't know where to contact us listen to last week's episode or this next episode coming out in a couple <laughs> days and we'll tell you how to contact us then damn it really phoning uh, it in r- fuck you they're getting 33 <laughs> minutes this week i'm just uh, fucking th- with you that being said this has been mark's madness pod and this has been nathan i'm david and we will talk to y'all in a couple days bye bye, bye.